Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to this week's Vindo with Robert Hollinshead. Now, it's not Bob this week, everybody. I have with me uh, Keith McCord from CEO of VinLogix, who produces the Vintel product that a lot of you may already use inside of AccuTrade, and if you haven't, you should check it out. Um, but today, we want to take the time to talk about EVs, uh, in particular used EVs, um, EVs in general, what to look for when you're buying them. And here's a hint, it's all about the battery health. Uh, but more, more than that, how to coach customers on maintaining their EVs so that they have a good experience and you know, ideally come, back, come and buy another one from you. So for me, I really have no idea about EVs. I know you hop in them, press the uh, quote unquote gas pedal. Not a gas pedal anymore, is it, Keith? No, but no, I'm super curious about it. Yeah. So, Keith, welcome. And maybe if you could let everybody know a bit about your background. I know we were just talking about you were back, I don't want to say the decade, but back in the 80s dealing with the uh, some of the original Macs. Uh, and maybe talk about um, the Vintel and then some background as to uh, EVs. And we can dive right in. Maybe start out with uh, the background. We'll dive into some of the consumer reactions to EVs. And then really get our get our geek on. I think that's what you like to say is about how a battery works. If that if that's cool with you. No, no problem, Sean. Appreciate it. This is uh, Keith McCord, as Sean said. I'm CEO of Vinlogic. We produce the Vintel product, which is integrated into AccuTrade. And my background basically was coming out as a DoD contractor uh, back in the '80s, the go-go '80s, when we were still building the military like crazy. Worked on airplanes, missiles, tanks, you name it and then uh, branched out into the automotive world. And I've really watched the automobile grow from when we were doing small little chips that probably could read six samples a, a, a second to what we've got today, where we've got very powerful computers, which has led to a lot of things as far as increasing corporate fuel economy and has really brought about the capability of driving cars as electric vehicles from batteries and electric motors. So it's really been a change. The engineering and the geekiness has really taken over. And, and a lot of it, though, is still the fundamentals of breaking down that in basics, the batteries that you see in your EVs aren't that much different than the ones you have in your phone today. So we're going to try to, in the next few minutes, break down the mystery behind how this all works, why the batteries do what they do, when they do what they do, and how you can really educate your customers into really understanding what they're buying, how to take care of it, the care and feeding of your electric vehicle. Love it. Love it. Can we uh, maybe start with you know, on the consumer side of things and uh, maybe take it from there? Because um, we know, I know I was reading somewhere there's about 3 million EVs or EV hybrids on the road today. So it's getting more and more, more and more dealers are going to see them as an opportunity to, to buy them. But consumers have already some reactions to EVs. And uh, maybe we can touch on that to begin with. Sure, sure. And that's a great point because it all uh, starts and ends with the, the consumer. So the issue you've got is the internet is is savage with internet safety rumors, how to use your EVs, and most of them are misinterpretations or complete flat out fabrications. So it's really a, a challenge to understand what these things are and how to use them. And the main thing that we really talk about with people is that range anxiety is a real thing. Okay, people 
do not want to get stranded and they hear horror stories about the battery going out. So that's the first thing that you really have to address is the proper use of that and understanding their anxieties over the range issues and how to address them of how they should be taking care of it. And it's very interesting because a lot of that stems from the, the seller not understanding what they're getting into. Now, some are wonderful. They really jumped on the EV bandwagon and they get it. And they're on the forums and they're, they're actively participating and teaching people about it. But a majority of people really don't understand them. And you see that in the fact that 18% of electric vehicle owners are switching back to internal combustion engines. And 20% of hybrid owners are switching back to internal combustion engines. And the reason why is typically they don't understand how to use them or how they work. So it's that anxiety they've got. And realistically, a lot of that, if you look at the people who are exiting out, it has to do with the chargers they've got. So if they're trying to just plug into their household current and use that to charge it, it's very slow. It doesn't work real well. Um, so just by putting them into, say, their a dedicated level two charging system, you eliminate up to the 30% of people who exit the EV market just because they don't like to charge them. And 53% of those people who exit because they don't know how to charge them never will purchase an EV again. So it's really an educational process that you can do to get your consumers on board and really help them understand what they're buying and how to take care of that EV so that they get the maximum enjoyment and the maximum life out of the EV. Keith, can I ask you what you level two charging is? Sure. So, so there's different chargers, right? You can, you can get the ones that just plug into your wall socket and, and you charge the car and it's very slow because it can't support the amount of current that's required to charge the car quickly. So you'll see people talk about rapid chargers, dedicated chargers. Those are ones that are installed in your garage or at the curb if, if you're in an apartment to where you can plug in their dedicated charger to be able to support the quicker charging and the better charging to your vehicle um, directly into the side of the car. Whereas if you don't have that and you just get the basic kit, it's you hook it up to your wall and you charge it up and it may take eight, 10 hours to charge a vehicle completely for the next day usage. And, and then that is, adds that range anxiety because people understand, hey, I've got an eight hour charge cycle ahead of me. I better top the car off because I don't wanna run low or I might have to run out on an emergency. That's the anxiety that you have to avoid. And by getting them set up properly with the right charging systems at home or at their work or wherever they happen to need the charges, that starts to eliminate some of that anxiety. Got it, got it. All right, so let's talk, let's, let's bring me right back to the base mix. How does an actual battery work, whether it's you know the lithium one in my cell phone or EVs? That's, let's, let's go right to the beginning. Sure, so, so lithium is really a metal, okay? It's, it's one out there that is great to use. And when we say lithium ion, what that means is it is that molecule or atom stripped of the electron outside. So lithium has one external electron spinning around outside there. So that's its charge. And what's interesting about lithium is it's highly reactive. If you took raw lithium and threw it in water, it'll start to bubble and fizz and put out carbon dioxide out as a byproduct. It's extremely reactive because it wants to get rid of that electron that's spinning around the outside of its, its molecule. So as a result, we call it unstable reactive metal. But within a battery, which you don't want unstable batteries, um, we can put that into a metal oxide, which then makes that lithium very happy. And it, it doesn't get unstable, it's very stable. 
So that's the one thing about lithium. What makes it very good is it always wants to get rid of that charge, which is great. We're dealing with a battery. And, and inside your battery, basically, you've got two things. Now, unfortunately, Ben Franklin was a brilliant man, but he made a mistake early on when he was playing with wool and wax and discovered electrical current. He made the mistake of talking about current and the way it flows. And we have since been nailed down with positive and negative on every battery you've ever seen out there. And that's really a bit of a misnomer. Realistically, there are two parts of a battery on either end. There's the cathode, which we refer to, thanks to Ben, uh, as, as positive, and the anode, which we refer to as a negative. Those are on either side of the battery, if you think about those. The cathode typically is a metal oxide, in this case, typically on a copper foil. And the anode is a graphite crystalline structure, which stores things on the aluminum side. So that's what makes up your battery. But you have to have something in between because you don't want to short those out. And that's where we have electrolyte. And that's just basically a fluid. And it's a fluid medium that prevents that electron that the lithium is trying to get rid of, that charge, it's trying to get rid of it. It prevents it from flowing between the two. Because if that was gone, you'd have a short and you have a fire. And that's why you see people say, oh, lithium ion, you know, it catches fire, lithium batteries. Really what's happened is something inside the battery is broken down and caused a short. And that is with any battery you've got, not just lithium. Lead acid, short it out, they'll explode. So there's an inherent safety structure with any battery. So don't let people say lithium's horribly unstable. All batteries can be unstable. But it's that electrolyte that, that guards against a short. Got it. So is that kind of similar to remember, uh, must be a couple of years ago now when you weren't even allowed to bring your laptops and your carry on luggage or you had to keep it in your carry on luggage because they were afraid of those uh, it becoming unstable and causing a fire. Exactly. That same sort of thing. Or? Exactly. Okay. Because what happens is the electrolytes in there, but the electrolyte can degrade and it can also be degraded by heat. So if you're rapidly charging or you leave a plug in your charger, you know, your phone gets hot. That's the electrolyte being stressed. And if you boil it, if you ever talk to me about batteries, you'll hear me say boil the chemistry out of them. You literally can boil it and, and make the electrolyte go away. Now, luckily, we figured out a long time ago that, that, that we put a membrane in between there that protects that short. So it's a porous metal mem um, porous membrane that is between your anode and your cathode that even if the electrolyte burned away, it still can't short because you have a physical medium in between, not just a fluid. So that's why in the beginning when we had nickel metal hydride, we had some lithium ion early on, they were a little dangerous because we didn't know. And it's interesting, we've learned a lot of things by accident. Like for instance, there's a thing called the solid electrolyte interface, which is a, a big word, which we call the SEI. We accidentally discovered it. And we found out that when you charge the battery the first time, some of these lithium ions as they're going from uh, one side to the other, uh, about 5% of them sacrifice themselves to build a real small film in there that prevents the degradation of the electrolyte. We never even knew it existed, just stumbled into it. And guess what, it's a benefit. So score one for the good guys on that. So we're learning things about them and the safety's coming up. There's still some things you don't do and we'll cover those with your batteries. Um, because when you heat the battery up, one of the things you'll see is a byproduct is carbon dioxide. That's why you see the, the phone charge or the phone battery swelling up and then, oh my gosh, the backup popped off of that. That what you're doing is you're seeing a breakdown of the battery. It's overheating. It's not bending properly and they burst. And then as soon as that 
Lithium is exposed to air because it wants to react. Boom, flame. So that's why everybody was really scared about that. Modern day lithium now, we've got venting procedures. You've got battery management systems on all the cars. They take care of that. So you don't even have to worry about it. They make sure the battery is vented properly. They make sure it's not overheating. It's charging properly. It's all in the hands of the consumer anymore. You just drive your car. So now, one of the things that you have to understand about the way the battery works, you really have two different things about this. So that's the anode and cathode and all your little lithium floating around in there. You've got a discharge cycle and a charge cycle. So when you charge these batteries, what ends up happening is, um, and, and Ben Franklin again tells us current flows positive and negative, but actually it's the electrons which are really flowing for us. Um, what ends up happening is when you charge a battery, You've got a lot of these little lithium ions happily in the metal oxide on the cathode side. And the anode, which is a graphite structure, think of it as a, a big piece of fabric in there that has a lot of holes, little store things. The lithium ion passes through the electrolyte because it can, it's positively charged, it does not have an electron on it, flows over and hangs out and wedges itself in that graphite structure. So it's sitting there happily going about its business and the graphite structure. In the meantime, your charger now is causing electrons now to come into that graphite structure, which now means kind of unstable, right? Because we know that once they get electrons, they're not happy because they're not in a metal oxide anymore. They're holding those charges, they're getting unstable. They wanna release that charge coming out of there, go back to lithium ions, okay? So that's why you always saw people say, ooh, they're kind of unstable, don't, fly with a, a fully charged battery. In fact, a lot of shipping companies only want you to ship a lithium ion at 30% charge because it's still, it's considered unstable when it's charged. But today's safety measures, you never have to worry about that anymore. So now you've got all these charged lithium sitting around on the anode side, you've charged it up and the batteries come to charge. So now it's hot. Then it now time to start the car, put your heater on, run your whatever you want to do with it. What ends up happening then is the load from the car calls out those electrons. They flow back out the anode, heading towards the cathode. And all those lithium ions go, we want to head back to where we we're happy in the metal oxide side of the cathode. So they all race back across the electrolyte through the permeable barrier in the center. And they go hang out in where they're very happy on the, ca on the uh, cathode side. And then, of course, all those electrons are coming back in and coming back in to settle. So you're now using those electrons by your load, whatever's left, flows back down into there, and you're using the battery. That's really how a battery works on discharge and charging. It's just you're moving electrons from one side to the other, and the lithium is passing through the, the swimming pool water of the electrolyte back and forth. That's a battery. That's really how they work. But when you understand how they work, now you'll understand why they do things in cold weather, hot weather, and longevity. And we'll cover that next. That makes sense, Sean? Great. No, I'm, uh, I'm with you. I'm with you. That's, uh, yeah, I like the uh, you're crystallizing it for me. Um, it's good. So, yeah, let's talk about cold weather because I'm up here in the uh, hinterlands. Uh, and I know that everyone, a lot of consumers and myself included, are curious about the cold weather effects on batteries. Maybe sure, start sure. there, Keith. 
Yeah, that makes sense because because a lot of the internet rumors are holy cow, you 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 drive your electric vehicle out in, in Nova Scotia and you get three miles down the road and it's dead. Well, truthfully, lithium, when compared to say your typical lead acid battery of today's ICE uh, vehicles, ICE vehicles powered by the lead acid batteries for starting a net, they lose about 75% of their charge capacity below zero degrees Celsius or 30 degrees Fahrenheit, which is horrible. Lithium really only loses about 10 to 12%. So they're very good in cold weather compared to lead acid. The issue you've got with EVs is that the first thing they do is you flip your heater on. Well, with internal combustion engines, you get your heat from the combustion, right? It produces heat. You bring it through water, through your radiator, through your heater core, you blow air across it, and you got a nice, warm, toasty car. There doesn't exist anything like that on an electric vehicle. So you have to generate heat with the battery. So suddenly, that's 40% of the battery's capacity just to keep your feet warm. And you turn on your seat heater and you play your radio and, and now you're chewing through that battery pretty good. So the misconception that it's the cold weather that's killing the battery, actually it's the human that's killing the battery because we don't want to drive around in a 32 degree car. So that that's one of the first things you have to worry about. So, but- But you would do... you say, oh, sorry, Keith. I was just no, gonna go say, would you say, but it is instant heat, isn't it though? That's it's the, instant that's heat. One of the oh, yeah. yeah, you will get instant heat yeah. because it, you know it, it's heating up electrically, and there's no warming up of an engine. So you will get warmer, but to continue to maintain that warmth is a constant flow of of electricity to keep the car warm. Got it. It's all in your power budget. So wh why why so do we actually see cold weather effects? That's the main thing you have to ask on on a lithium battery. So as we talked about these things moving back and forth in, in the electrolyte liquid, um, the act of being able to take a vehicle and, and drive it in cold weather, the, the chemical reaction going from the charging standpoint of a anode collecting all the lithium is slowed because your electrolyte thickens and your resistance goes up. And all that means that what you end up doing is you are limiting the capacity of the battery in a cold weather. You can't get the things to go quick enough. And that's in a simple, simplest terms you can put in there. The colder it gets, just like we are when we get older, you know, it's tough getting going on cold mornings. Batteries are the same way. That chemical reaction is slowed. Okay. The what the big word that we use is intercalation. That is the act of the the uh, lithium moving into that graphene crystalline structure and storing it. That is slow. That's why they'll tell you, don't charge when it's cold out. Get it into a warm garage. When you charge it cold, what ends up happening is you slow the process down. And we'll talk about that in a second of why that causes an issue. But that's one of the things that you want to watch for. So everything slows down in the battery when it gets cold. The benefit of lithium is it creates heat when it's discharging. So it's kind of its own friend because it gets heat in there, the resistance goes down, your flow gets better. So it does self-correct self a little bit. Now, a lot of the battery management systems, like on Tesla, it's constantly moving that thing around. On the Nissan Leaf, they don't do much until you get really cold. So it's not maintaining the battery well. So you do have some degradation on the cold on a Leaf versus a Tesla. So it really depends on the battery management system of the OEM who built the car. 
you can kind of learn the idiosyncrasies of those. Every OEM gives you really good guidance on when to charge, how to charge, where to charge. So just follow it if you have any questions on that. So, so we gets- so on a lot of the OEMs, though, Keith, we probably don't have that information yet as they're just starting to roll these out. So, um, or would they? Do you think they'd already have their battery technology to the point where they can, um, you know, some are like Tesla and some might be more like the Nissan Leaf? Right. It depends on how much OEM wants to wants to let you know. The 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 people that we deal with on the internal side of the OEMs, they know all this. They they've got it down to a science because they designed the batteries. Now, do do you want to go out and advertise that, hey, you can't charge your Nissan Leaf if it's zero degrees Celsius or below effectively? It's probably not a good sales feature. So they they tend to gloss over a little bit of that uh, internally. So, and that's where the dealer educating about what works, what doesn't, when you sell that EV is so very important to get them to be happy with their electric vehicle. Really good stuff. So, and, and you know, so where it, are we going now? Well, should we talk cold, about are we di- the, with, with cold yeah. weather, just to sum it up? I mean, the, the big thing is you will see some reduction in the performance of the battery, okay, um, in the cold weather, but it's not as drastic as you see. Because if, if you took just pure lithium battery with no management, no anything on there, you could see up to an 80% decrease in the battery capacity. But the OEMs have done such a good job of managing the heat within the batteries, managing the cycles within the batteries, that realistically, you're not going to see that much of a loss in cold weather unless you sit there and blast the heater on. Great stuff. Let's go hot weather. Hot weather, sure. So hot weather is the same as cold weather, except it has a negative effect on the battery itself. So whereas when you're talking about cold weather, and cold weather charging. And one thing I want to add on cold weather charging too is most of the battery manufacturers will tell you to avoid supercharging at cold temperature because what ends up happening is if you don't have the proper heat, you get lithium plating on the anode, which limits the storage capacity of all little crystalline structures so that you can't jam any more current in, or any more uh, lithium ions to hold the current that you need. So you start to see battery degradation. And the same thing kind of occurs on hot weather, just the other swing, right? What ends up happening is, as the battery gets hotter, you instead of slowing down like you do on cold, you supercharge the speed at which things go across the electrolyte. So they start slamming into things, slamming into the SEI layer, which was built up to protect the electrolyte from the electrons flowing around there. And then what ends up happening is, it starts to really degrade your battery because resistance is down, the transfer is quick and it just beats the battery up. So what end up, ends up happening is you can get extra dead lithium floating around, if you will, for better lack of term, that can't get into the crystalline structure. So they're orphaned. They can't be saved. They just float around and end up building up. And they crack little fissures here and there and they get stuck. So just like cold weather charging you want to be careful of, you want to watch your hot weather charging also. And one of the things when you build up the heat in there, that's when they start to off-gas the CO2 during it. So that's where you see the phone charge batteries on left-hand chargers swell up. Luckily, like I said before, the OEMs have taken care of that. They vent the batteries, so they won't let them swell up and explode. They'll vent the CO2. Perfectly harmless to us, 
probably don't even know what's happening. They manage it. So safety has really improved on these things dramatically. Tesla's kind of led the charge on it. Um, and, and a lot of the industry has really picked up on that. But again, the hot weather doesn't affect the capacity per se like cold weather does. But if you continue to charge that and run it very hot, you degrade the battery's life cycles significantly. So there's a, well, just from listening now, it would seem like um, EVs probably are going to operate longer if you're in a hot weather, if you actually treat it better than cold weather, because cold weather is just going to degrade anyways. Is that correct? Or did well, I get that wrong? No, I, it, it really, you're going to do your most of your um, damage when you do your charging to your battery. And that really flies into the battery cycle life. That, that's a terminology we use here on the engineering side. And basically, it's every battery has a finite life, okay? Regardless of what chemistry is, whatever they come up with next year, next month, they're always changing it, um, trying to get, get the better battery. Um, it doesn't matter. Batteries have a finite cycle. And what's interesting about that is every time you charge it, okay, it takes one counter out of the bucket. So your typical EV uh, has uh, 1,500 to 2,500 charge cycles out of it is what it's rated at. Some, some are pushing, uh, I've heard rumors of 5,000, 6,000, which is longer than I'll probably live. But regardless of that fact, they're constantly trying to push a charge cycle. But every time you plug that in, um, it takes one out of the charge bucket and, and it starts to reduce the life. Now, when you're in cold weather, obviously, because you know you don't have the uh, capacity right, because it's discharging down at a lower loss, um, you're going to have to charge more. So you'll see people say, well, that's why EVs don't work well in the cold weather. Well, it's really because you don't have the same capacity as you would living in Florida. It's just the nature of the battery. But is it is it enough to make you not want to buy one? No, not really. Um, you're still going to get a lot of lifetime out of it. What's more important, whether it's cold weather or hot weather, is the way the consumer charges the battery. Now, if you look, the batteries are charged basically on what's called a CCCV, constant current, constant voltage method. And what'll happen is when you charge them, it'll ramp a lot of current into there, up to 100% of the current to get the battery from say 20% to 80%. After that, it starts to just maintain the voltage. So it drops current precipitously and just maintains voltage. And they do that because there really is no trickle charge on lithium. It, it, it's, some of them will float it, some will just shut it off because they don't want to over, over voltage the batteries because then they do prematurely die. But again, it's all in your battery management system. OEMs take care of that. So realistically, what you're looking at when you're looking at battery life cycle is really how you charge the car, when you charge the car, where you charge the car. Now the government's mandating in the US, except for California, eight years, 100,000 miles out of a battery. California requires 10 years and 150,000 miles, okay? But if you look at the charge cycles, as a customer, what you don't wanna do is let range anxiety, what we talked about in the beginning, take you over to where you run to the store, 10 miles, you come back home and you plug it in. When you do that, you deduct it because now you understand a little bit about the chemistry of the battery that you're ramming in that current into there and you're degrading it just a little bit every time you charge it up. So educating your customers that you don't need to go to 100%. In fact, a lot of them 
will tell you don't go to 100% unless you have an extended trip. Cut it off around 80 because that's where the current maintains it. You're good to go. Run that car down to 20, 25% before you recharge. They don't have a memory, unlike everybody says, oh, you, your, your phone battery has a memory. Lithium doesn't have a memory. It doesn't know. But what it does have is it has that cycle counter. So you want to make sure that you're not using range anxiety to plug that sucker in because mileage doesn't matter on these things. It really comes down to the cycle life. And, and that's really that's what you want to look That's really at. interesting. That is super, super interesting, Keith. Because so can, can I tell if, uh, if an EV comes through the lanes, um, how many charge cycles it's been through? So, some provide and that. Could I, some provide that, yeah. Yeah. So what we're working on is we're working on trying to tie that in to help you out because a lot of it's a lot of gobbledygook and the OEMs keep a lot of that through their connected car programs. So they understand the driving habits, the charge cycles, et cetera, about how that vehicle has been treated. So if, if the person is constantly rapid charging, that's hard on them because that's going to cause more plating effect on the anode, which will degrade the battery as opposed to someone who's plugging it in and normally charging it. So if you don't need to rapid charge, don't do it. It's hard on the equipment, okay? You're reducing that life cycle. So when you look at those batteries, what you want to look at is the report on how many charge cycles they've been through. If it's close to 1,500, you probably got a battery on its way out. And it could be a three-year-old car, and because they plugged it in every night and charged it, that's hard on the battery. What's that worth? Let's say you've got a three-year-old car with uh, 35,000 miles on it that's been charged a thousand times because they plugged it in every night versus a car that's got 125,000 miles on it that's been through 300 charge cycles. Your number one cost on that vehicle to maintain it is the battery. So does that is that car worth less because it's got more miles but less charge cycles on it? That's what we're going to attempt to solve now through AccuTrade to help give guidance to people in the lane or taking on trade-ins to really understand what's the value of that car, not just on miles, but let's look at the battery life. And that's what we're working on. Just absolutely fascinating. It's, a, it's almost gonna be like uh, odometer, really is, is a secondary um, to something new, right? It's, I, I just find that fascinating because, you know, yeah. it's always, what well, what's the mileage on the car? Well, it's got uh, 200,000 kilometers or whatever it is. Well, no, it's got, uh, but it's got 200,000 kilometers, but it's only got, you know, 900 uh, charge cycles through it. It's, sure. That, that is a wonderful um, overview of EVs. Now, what, I got a question for you though. What happens sure. if um, somebody takes a EV down to 1% or, you know, lets it, die that, that that's the battery completely. it's hard on the chemistry going back to the cccv type method so what ends up happening is they have to try to bring that battery back very slowly to get it to 20 percent. so it's hard on the chemistry it causes some plating effects at that level so it's really not wise to drain that battery down below 20 percent. truthfully um, you can get by down to 10 without doing any uh, harm to it but um you know, my advice to people is try to stay in the 20 to 80% range and you'll get wonderful life out of the entire vehicle. You're not going to wear the motors out. You're not going to wear the car out. Your, your biggest wear is the battery. And as long as you take care of it, there's no reason why you can't get 200,000 
miles out of that vehicle and, and 10, 15 years out of it without having any kind of large bill on there. Now, on, on the bad side is for the dealers, your, your service lanes are going to become ghost towns. So now it's going to become an issue of reaching out and working with your customers on, are they using their car correctly? Because a happy customer is worth its weight in gold. So that's your touch points as dealers now to be able to work with your customers just to make sure, hey, you're charging too often. Why are you charging too often? What, what's wrong? Um, and work with them in that way because you can keep them in that vehicle for a long time without having a large expensive repair bill, which again, will turn them off of EVs and they won't go back. Sounds like the um, ideal consumer for an EV right now is, is a commuter that you know may take the charge out of a vehicle over a week, three or four or five days, where they only have to do a, a charge cycle maybe even once a week and then continue through. Um, and I think that you know just goes to questioning your consumer as to what they plan on doing with the EV and, and go from there, perhaps. So. Same thing we went through diesels, right, Sean? When, when diesels got hot, yeah. everybody wanted diesel. And you said, now, wait a minute. If you're not driving that diesel for 60 miles on one way, you're not using your diesel, right? Don't buy a diesel. And, and as a result, we saw all these diesels get damaged because they weren't acting like a diesel. They were trying to treat them like gasoline cars, never getting up to temp, never getting to be able to uh, uh, go through in the DPF cycles on regenerations. And it was just a disaster. And, and again, that's the thing you're going to have to do with an EV. What are you trying to do with it? Are you buying the right equipment for what you're trying to do? Trying to tow a horse trailer right now? Probably not a good conversation to have with you because we're just not there yet. Uh, we'll get there, but we're not there yet. Are, are you jumping in the car and driving 120 miles one way? Mm, probably not there yet. But like you said, if you're the mm -hmm. commuter who charges a, you know, once a week, once every five days, boy, you, you're a good candidate for it. And you're really going to be happy with it. Uh, an unanswerable question, but I'm going to ask it anyways, Keith, before we uh, hop off here. Do you think the uh, mandates of, I think, 50% of the fleet, North America fleet, by 2030 will be EV? Is that a chance? I know no. the Canadian government wants to get to 50%. So My, my opinion uh, is no, just because of the infrastructure required to replace the refueling in terms of speed in terms of convenience, that's not going to be there in eight years. Uh, it just won't happen. So what you're going to see is more of your commuters, I think, moving to EVs, but your longer drivers uh, staying with internal combustion, or you're going to have a case where you've got an EV for your commutes and your vacation cars and your fun cars are still going to be internal combustion. So it just, it just isn't there yet. Now, there's, there's some technology on the horizon. There's some solid state batteries that are that have very promising capabilities, supercapacitor-like charge times of, of, of gasoline refuel times. Uh, they're down the road. You know, you still have to go through with NHTSA to approve them and then the OEMs to design and then they have to go through NHTSA with them. So that's still a ways away. That won't happen in eight years, knowing how quickly NHTSA works and the OEMs work. So it's gonna be a while. I think what you'll see is a slow adoption uh, starting with your urban areas who are short commutes and then then slowly spreading. I would say probably realistically by 2050, you'll probably see the numbers you're talking about. Great. Thank you, Keith. I really appreciate your time and I hope everyone uh, had lots of takeaways. 
there's more questions, obviously you can reach out to me at any time, Sean at AccuTrade or Accu-Trade.com. And actually, Keith, um, if it's good with you, we're going to put a video in the show notes of the integration of Vintel with AccuTrade. I think it's a great little video that you guys uh, made up um, that's, uh, that's a must-see because dealerships really need to start uh, getting that that most important report, as Bob calls it, the EKG of a car. So um, look for that in the show notes, everybody, and really appreciate your time today, Keith. Thank you, Sean. Appreciate the opportunity.